well, hopefully that's not something we need to look up and prepare for. Don't even joke. Don't even joke about fucking dinosaurs coming back, okay? (laughs) We've got enough (laughs) shit hanging over our heads. Have you lived in this decade and the previous decade? I hate you. In this century? I hate you. I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Get ready, everybody. It's Monster Month here at the Madams. You know what that means, Abe? We're going to see a lot of monsters. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) I had to get it in there. I had to. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. So yeah, you guessed it, guys. Today we are covering in part one of our two-part series, Jurassic Park, directed by Sir Steven Spielberg in 1993. And this is the best movie to start a Monster Month. You can't not do Jurassic Park while you're doing Monster Month. I agree. That being said, our uh, Cliff Note summary here for Jurassic Park, and I say this with, with love, and I'm going to discuss it, uh, Sea Jaws, update for dinosaurs and female agency. <laughs> and my version of it is, everything goes wrong. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah, so I definitely saw this in theaters, but I was six, so I do not remember the experience. Yeah, I remember seeing it as a kid as well. I think I was maybe eight or nine, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, you would have been eight. And probably. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Of course it did. I, I was petrified. Yeah, I never know what to classify this movie as. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it a thriller? Is it a horror movie? Is it an adventure movie? Because the case can be made for all of those. It's all in one. And it is definitely one of my favorite movies, top 10 for sure. And this is the movie I have actually seen more than any other, which will probably surprise a lot of people. (laughs) I've probably seen this movie 60 times. Six zero? Yes. So you basically know it by heart. Yes, I can recite this movie. And it's just infinitely quotable too. It is true. And I discovered, apparently, that Jeff Goldblum was supposed to be a heartthrob. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never understood that. I mean, I can look at him and say objectively, oh yeah, he's a, he's a good looking man, but um, he's sure. never, never done anything for me. No, and he's, even in this movie, even though he's supposed to be a heartthrob, he's very, very queer-coded. Uh, he's definitely not because he's straight in all the movies and has relationships with women and five kids in the end. But his behavior, it just, let's say gay guys love this movie for very different reasons. My dear, he's just being Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. And I was never like a sciencey kid or anything. I had a microscope mm-hmm. once that I played with, I think, for all of three days. It was never my thing. But I do love the dinosaurs because oh no i kind of think of them like dogs they're just like most of them are i'm not gonna say harmless but you know several of the species are just kind of cute or sweet and you know i think of them as kind of like dogs all different breeds you know some can be a little scary some like the brachiosaurus they're sweet you know you need to get a head check (laughs) there is this Rewatching this again for the show, I couldn't help but think of 
this giant like horse of a dog that's in our neighborhood that we see being walked sometimes. And he's looks like Scooby-Doo. I swear to God, he's part Great Dane. And you could just see <laughs> by the way he's he's walking and the way he's plopping on his butt. He's just the dumbest, goofiest dog in the world. But he's the size of a small horse, you know? He's tall. My boy is Thor. My sweet golden boy. True. But I see your point. Mm-hmm. So a little box office history here. Jurassic Park made $914 million in 1993. That's amazing. It's nuts. Yeah. And yeah. it held the box office record for highest grossing movie of all time till Titanic in 1997. Fuck Titanic. I said it. <laughs> I never got the hype for that movie. Never did. Now that theater experience, I do remember having my coat thrown over my face uh, by my mother <laughs> during the carriage scene. <laughs> so Jurassic Park, this is a big pet peeve of mine. These fucking people. Mm -hmm. This is 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Where are those 8% of assholes? Show me. I'm going to take one of those raptor claws and give them something to really whine about. The 8% just want to seem cool by not liking what's popular pisses me off <laughs> the movie won uh three oscars for sound and effects well deserved yes but i think it got the shaft on editing big time because this is one of just the best edited movies you'll ever watch i disagree really yeah because within shots there are inconsistencies like uh, when Nedry gets sprayed with the poison, one shot he has a certain pattern, another shot he has a very different pattern, and it's very noticeable. Now, see, I didn't notice that. I don't notice stuff like that. You have the eye for it. For me, the editing comes, there's two big things. One thing that Spielberg does so well is a character will ask a question or make a statement, and then it's mm -hmm. answered immediately on the cut. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to editing, you know you've edited something well when you don't realize it's been edited. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think about it when I'm casually watching it. Sure. But for me, even when I'm casually watching it, I can notice the the inconsistencies. They're small. They're minor. But there are inconsistencies. So not Oscar worthy, in my opinion. Well, too, for me, the way the movie is cut it just builds maximum tension of course we yes. get that tension release tension release especially uh i think this was one of the biggest ones in the theater for everybody was the turning on the power while alan and the kids are climbing the fence mm -hmm. yes that is stressful we have the power coming on and we've got the t-rex approaching right yeah so sir stephen is my favorite director of all time Mm-hmm. I personally think, and of course... He's amazing. His talent is unparalleled. He's an absolute genius. And mm -hmm. the stories you hear about him, man, he's got brass ones he does. <laughs> At least he did when he had to, you know, when he was young. Mm -hmm. Personally, and of course, this is an argument that could go on endlessly. I think he's the greatest director of all time, period, because of the mm -hmm. range he has. And the mm -hmm. fact that he can make these 
blockbusters that are amazing films like Jaws and Jurassic Park, but also right. make Schindler's List. And even Jurassic Park, it's a monster movie. It's supposed to be something, shut your brain and go for the ride. But you still have characters that are relatable and you're rooting for them. And even the monsters, the quote unquote monsters, you still have moments of tenderness with them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is amazing to have all that nuance. And somehow Spielberg was doing post-production on Jurassic Park while he was shooting Schindler's List in Europe. Yeah. How did he not have like a nervous breakdown? I do not know. I can't even fathom just having the physical energy to do mm-hmm. that, let alone the emotional energy of making fucking Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah, that is another incredible movie. It is. That's a one and dutter for me. Oh, no, I'm going to make you watch it again. And of course, I absolutely love Indiana Jones. Uh, I actually prefer mm-hmm. Last Crusade over Raiders. There was no movie made in between. It's just the two of them. Just the two. <laughs> and there was no movie made after either. Uh-huh. Yep, it's just okay. those two. Yep, Raiders and uh, and Last Crusade. That's it. Uh-huh. All right, moving on. <laughs> and Jaws is a big time comfort classic for me too. How were these you know, scary, supposedly scary movies, comfort for you. I don't know. I cannot understand. I don't know. I love the way the man tells a story. I really do. I will put Jaws on anytime, just in the background, just chilling. I've probably seen Jaws, I don't know, 25 times. I have not seen it yet. You know what? We haven't, uh, I haven't requested that anybody send poop for a while, but but I think it's time. Why is it that if I do not do something, I get poop and you <laughs> go away scot-free? Because it's Jaws. And you don't like Firefly. I didn't say I don't like Firefly. It's perfectly fine. I just don't understand the hubbub. Uh-huh. That's all. Uh-huh. Right. You try to cover your tracks, Missy. So not only is Spielberg a genius as a director, but that man has produced all kinds of amazing things. He was one of the brain trust on ER in the 90s. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. And he was also the executive producer of my entire childhood. We got Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, Pinky in the Brain, and Freakazoid. I had no idea he was involved in any kind of animation. Mm-hmm. I owe this man so much happiness. <laughs> so don't worry, guys. We are going to dive into the movie proper in part two. But we're going to do more of an overview here in part one. And that also includes a little discussion here of the various things that make this movie work so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first, of course, is the effects. Yeah, a lot of it was physical, actual animatronics, which I think was fantastic. Yes, yeah. So we have that blend of CGI, animatronics, and puppets. Stan Winston and ILM work together to create, like, to take this, like, massive leap in VFX technology. Yeah, and 
by today's standards, of course, it doesn't hold up as well as it did before. It's still great, but I think the practical effects, the animatronics were what really sold this movie. Absolutely. I will take the effects in this movie over any of the new movies any day of the fucking week. Because having those animals there practically, it adds so much terror and so much connection. Like, look at the Triceratops scene. That sick baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel bad for her. (laughs) You know, you connect with that animal. It's also because I can't deal with any kind of animal suffering. Right. Unless it's the snake that is in my neighborhood, apparently, because I saw a fucking snake skin on the ground yesterday. Anyway. (laughs) You can't have a scene like that with CGI, with Alan Grant, you know, laying on top of the triceratops like that and feeling her breathe. You can't have Ellie pulling micro vesicles out of her mouth. (laughs) You can still do that, but it would obviously be all CGI. Right. It's not the same. You don't get that same emotional connection. And like with the T-Rex reveal, when he shows up, the terror that you know, it's right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it hel- it would help the kids a lot more as well in reacting to this huge monster. A thousand percent. Yeah. For, ki- for child mm-hmm. actors like that. Yeah. That's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And those kids did a fantastic job. Oh, we will talk about them. But this movie doesn't work without those performances. Yep. Yep. The performances in this movie are stellar. Yes. And beyond the dinosaurs, we have certain other effects like the ripples in the water glass, it's still one of the greatest practical effects ever. Absolutely. This movie has so many of those iconic scenes that they stand the test of time and they still evoke that feeling of fear and dread. Yeah. Like people take that for granted. It took them weeks to figure that shit out. Really? Yes. Okay. They were scrambling to figure that shit out. And it's just a single string on a guitar in the end. Uh-huh. And we see it again at the end with the lime jello, too. Yeah, she's shaking her hand while yeah. she sees the the raptor. You know, that's one of my pet peeves, too. How long has it been since you kiddos ate? You got all these desserts on the table, Lex. And we're eating lime jello, the worst of all the jellos. Maybe she likes lime jello. No one likes lime jello. No one. I will stand by that. She's traumatized. Give her a break. (laughs) And then, of course, uh, the raptors opening those doors, those real animatronic raptors with those giant claws working those handles. Oh, Oh, that was freaky. Yeah. It always makes me nervous because if either of my girls ever figure out doorknobs, I am also fucked. (laughs) And Kat's getting close. She really is. Uh-huh. She could already okay. <laughs> she could already push a door open with her ass if it's not like completely clicked, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another big difference is the fact that they shot on location in Hawaii versus relying on green screen. Yeah. Being there in the middle of all this greenery, it's a big difference. I'm looking at you, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi did some on-location shooting, but a lot of it was green screen, a lot of it was augmented, which had to be considering the story they were telling. I mean, they could have built the sets, but they chose not to. Yeah, see our episode on that one for uh, for more rats, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I also think this movie is just perfectly paced. Yes, it is. The exposition in front gives you so much information that everything makes sense later and it comes into play. And that's another hallmark of Spielberg. Right. And we don't see any dinosaurs for the first 20 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we don't get the big reveal till over an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. And you wouldn't see that today. No. That is a master storyteller at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're invested all along, even though you're there for the actual monsters. Right. And like you said, the exposition at the beginning, it's so creatively done. We get it from Alan and the crew and that poor child Mm -hmm. at the the dig site. (laughs) Yeah. What was that kid doing there in the first place? Oh, I think there was just like an audience, people, tourists checking out the dig. That can, that's a thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. And of course, Miss Minutes' is dad, Mr. DNA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can see Miss Minutes was inspired quite heavily from this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, they said that in mm-hmm. uh, the making of Loki. And we get a lot, too, from Tim and his excitement about being there because right. he's a dinosaur kid. Right. Yeah. And also from Alan. Yes, who is still a dinosaur kid despite being a grown man. And I love every second of it. Yeah, he is so enamored by it. Even in the middle of all the shit, he still can't help but smile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so speaking of Dr. Grant there, uh, there are a number of parallels to Jaws in this movie, and he's one of them. Overall, this is another example of restrictions and problems spurring creativity in a better movie. Mm -hmm. Right. So, of course, we all know the stories in Jaws. The reason we don't see the shark for so long is because the damn thing didn't work. Yeah, and it worked out brilliantly. Yes. And for Jurassic Park, Spielberg was originally thinking about doing it all the dinosaurs in stop motion. Mm-hmm. But it looked terrible. Yeah. And they had to find a way to make things look a lot more real. So that's when mm-hmm. the puppeteers came together with the digital guys and were able to just create magic. Yeah. And you know what's kind of ironic is that one of the things Spielberg says about coming out of Jaws is that he learned to never, ever shoot on the water. (laughs) And he didn't do that for Jurassic Park, but he got a fucking hurricane instead. So he still got the water. Yeah, true. And Hurricane Aniki was real. It was devastating. It was the most powerful hurricane in um, recorded history in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. All right. But in this case, the hurricane didn't do the damage. Greed did the damage. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean in in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So we've discussed the hiding of the monster, but also this opening scene very much mirrors Jaws's with the girl on the beach being eaten. Here with the raptor, we also know, oh, oh no. Oh, oh no. Something's going to go real wrong here real fast. Yeah. And it does. Poor man who never got a name. No. No. Or a line. Yeah, if you're in one of these movies and you don't get a name, watch yourself. Yep. And I always have to thank Mr. Muldoon because he's been there for me. Every time I see, I don't know, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Sarah Palin or any of those other god-awful women that I could just look at the TV and yell, shoot her! You know what I was kind of sad about when we went to uh, Universal a few weeks ago is that 
they actually took out Jaws the Ride from Universal. Oh. And that was an awesome ride. Yeah. Well, I did it when I was 14 and that shit was no joke. You feel that fire. Okay. And that fake shark is coming at you. But man, it doesn't feel fake. It was very good. It was very well done. (laughs) All right. So I also see Alan Grant as like very much like Martin Brody. He's the reluctant hero. Mm -hmm. Where Brody was reluctant to go in the water, Grant is reluctant to deal with the kids. Yeah. But as soon as shit goes down, you know, they both jump into action using whatever tools they've got at their disposal. Yeah, they do. And at no point during that fiasco, he makes the kids feel like a liability. Yeah. And we'll get more into those relationships in part two for sure. Because I Mm -hmm. love those kids. Yeah, they're great. So let's talk a little about the legacy of this original movie that should have been the only movie in pop culture. I agree. Should have been the only movie. So, of course, dinosaurs absolutely blew up after this. Yeah, dinosaurs were the thing. Yeah, and they weren't really a thing before this. No, not really. I feel like this movie was so validating for Ross Geller, you know? (laughs) Wait, so Friends happened after Jurassic Park? At the same time. At the same time. Friends was on, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he'd always been a paleontologist. From the beginning, yes. Yeah, right. Ross would have been one of the first people to go see the movie and been there every day after that. Oh, he'd have been in line, sleeping there for tickets. Absolutely. (laughs) Alone, uh, for sure. Yes, for sure. Because Carol would have been like, you do you. I'm going to go meet my new friend, Susan. First Mm -hmm. of frozen yogurt. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yeah, and clearly he'd be too excited to notice no frozen yogurt cups in the trash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was at Universal just a few weeks ago where there is a whole section of the park devoted to Jurassic Park. Right. And that's why I so love Hammond's one line when everything's going to shit. Why didn't I build in Orlando? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, first off, you kind of did where they did kind of for you because everything's like a replica, you know? Right. And it was just funny to hear that now, having just gone through Hurricane Ian down there yeah. while we were there. Mm-hmm. We were totally fine. The staff was wonderful. All good. If you're going to ride out a hurricane somewhere, make it an all-inclusive Disney resort. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. No, definitely not. So yeah, they have the replica like research center, which mm-hmm. is kind of like with the lobby, you know, that we see in the movie. Okay. And then there's the... Um, Velocicoaster, mm-hmm. which is a big no thanks for me. <laughs> they also have the Raptor Encounter, where you can take pictures with animatronic raptors. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, we didn't do that because we thought it was like an experience. We're like, no, no, you're just taking a picture. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go spend our time somewhere else. Okay. And what's really lovely is going through this whole section, and it's kind of done up like a jungle, you know. They have like on the sound system, they play. This beautiful version of the theme on flute. Okay. And it's just gorgeous with all the water trickling everywhere. Oh, right. I loved it. Yeah, very calming. That was calming. It was not calming, uh, what is it, 21 years ago now. The last time I had been in Universal, I was there with my parents and we accidentally got in line 
for a huge, I think like T-Rex coaster. Mm -hmm. We thought it was one thing. Uh, it was not. In fact, I didn't start to get nervous until we started climbing and we all looked at each other like, <laughs> oh God, and realized that what we were actually coming out of was like, I think the T-Rex's mouth. Okay. And it was this insane drop. And we had seen this from like across the park. Oh, shit. That was one of the worst moments of my life. I thought <laughs> I was going to die. I'm kind of shocked I didn't. I could barely move the next day. My muscles were so tight from just completely mm -hmm. closing in on myself. You know how they, so they take pictures of you when you're on that and like right. put up the pictures. Yeah. You couldn't even see my face. I was just buried <laughs> into myself. It was awful. Awful. I would pay good money to see that. Mm -hmm. To see that picture. So let's talk about the sequels and their problems. What sequels do you speak of? So I can forgive Spielberg for The Lost World because he didn't want to make that. The studio forced his hand. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of funny is the same thing happened to Roy Scheider with Jaws 2. Right. Uh, Jurassic Park 3 is also lousy. Oh my God. Tay Leone and William H. Macy, please go away and take your obnoxious kid with you. I'm going to be honest. I've seen the movies. I've blocked the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are the ones from the 90s. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the Jurassic World franchise. Take it away, Amy. There is no Jurassic World franchise. She's been waiting to do this for a while. No, no, they do not exist. There is no Jurassic World. There is only Jurassic Park. Well, there is a Jurassic World and there is a Mr. Chris Pratt. Do you mean Crisp Pratt? Yeah, I do believe you have some feelings about him. I believe I've heard them once or twice. Yeah, just a bit. Just a bit. Tiny amount of feelings for him. None of them good. Now, I have not seen Parks and Rec. The first time I saw him in anything was Guardians of the Galaxy. And just something about him does not sit right with me. I did not know anything about his religiousness and all that jazz at all. But just something about him, his soul is corrupted. I completely understand where you're coming from. It's, I feel bad for anybody who first saw him in Guardians because I don't think that's who he was meant to be at all. Mm -hmm. With Guardians, number one, I think he was wrong for the role. I think Chris Pine should have been playing that role. You find a Chris on the street and put him there, he's right for the role. Any Chris. Hollywood turned him into this action hero, and that's just not what he was meant to be. Parks and Rec is my favorite show of all time. For me and my husband, that's mm -hmm. our show together. Mm -hmm. And I adored Andy Dwyer. Chris Pratt is a brilliant physical comedian. And all of that now is just a thing of the past. And, you know, I understand wanting to spread your wings. That's one thing. But what Chris Pratt has been doing for years now is trying to hammer a round peg into a square hole. And it doesn't fit. No, it does not. He's been trying to continue this action hero legacy of his. It's not working. No. It's absolutely not working. And he does not have the charisma or that suave personality to pull that off yeah i know what you mean see that's the thing that's what kills me is that he does have the charisma but not in these roles mm -hmm. it not the genres that he's in he belongs in the comedy world 
And I think he could do dramatic roles, but different kinds of dramatic roles, but he really belongs in a different world. And you know what? Things were better when you were chubby. (laughs) And this whole Mario thing has kind of also pissed me off. He got the role for Mario and the voice actor for Mario is still alive. And he's been voicing Mario since Mario existed. And Mario is one of those iconic, you know, video game characters that you hear, it's a me, Mario. You always know who it is. Of course. And we saw the trailer for the movie a couple of weeks ago, and Chris Pratt is not even trying. Yeah, the thing is, he thinks he is. That's the real head slapper, you know? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And I don't know what this is for. I don't know what the point of this gimmick is. I don't either. Like, dudes aren't going to flock to this theater because they're like, oh, man, Chris Pratt's voice Mario. And kids don't give a shit. So who is this for? Exactly. Yeah. I don't get it. And he's getting so much shit for it, which, frankly, well-deserved because he's doing an awful job. Yeah. As, as Mario. I agree. He's got a real lack of self-awareness. That's mm-hmm. a major problem. That's like worse than a lot of actors you see, you know? Right. And I haven't so much as blocked the the Jurassic World movies. I've just forgotten them because that's what they are. Forgettable. Yeah, they are. They are extremely forgettable. And e- even in that movie, Chris Pratt is trying so hard to be the tough guy. He's trying to be like Muldoon and he's failing miserably. Yeah. And two, they rely so heavily on CGI and green screen. Nothing mm-hmm. feels real. Yeah. And it's just so much about everything going wrong, that these movies are not about building the story, building the tension. It's about how fast can we destroy everything? Yeah. We gave uh, Dominion a try last week. We got an hour Mm -hmm. into it before my husband shut it off. Both of us, our eyes were just glazed over. And he looked at me and said, Mm -hmm. with just a sincerely baffled look on his face, he said, how did they make this boring? (laughs) and i'm with them it was so friggin boring yeah i didn't even try i I didn't even want to give it a chance and beyond the fact that it was boring as hell and we really had no idea what was going on sam neil uh is that sam neil or mark Harmon? because i'm really not sure (laughs) i don't know what the fuck accent sam neil is doing but he's not sam neil or alan grant now, apparently some people had took issue with his accent in, in Jurassic Park. I'm totally fine with it. Why did they have an, a problem with his accent? I don't know. People okay. said it wasn't good enough. It wasn't a, a proper American accent, that it was all over the place. And look, I don't know what you people are talking about. It yeah, was, I don't either. It was perfectly fine for me. He sounded like, like Sam Neill, not fully New Zealand Sam Neill. But I always thought of it like, I like his voice because he sounds like a scientist. Mm-hmm. And this accent he's doing in Dominion, like I said, am I watching NCIS or am I watching watching Jurassic World? Because I don't know. <laughs> All right. So enough about those. Let's get into Amy's science quarter. I love the science in this movie. They put in so much. Yeah, they did. I love it. They did. Let's just say, though, for the record, not accurate. No, you cannot do this. Yeah, it's not accurate. In terms of the DNA, 
there is possibility. Yes, it is accurate in that sense. But the way they put it, it seems believable. Like you can let it go. And, you know, watching this, I have to wonder, like, did the cast have any clue what they were talking about in terms of the math of science? I can bet a million dollars. No. I wonder about Goldblum because he's one of those dudes who has like so many interests and is into so many mm-hmm. things. And he's a low key musician, you know, so I could see right. him. I could see him at least like looking into it, you know? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But that whole chaos theory, it's just. It's just the butterfly effect. Yeah, it's crap. But we have to credit this movie. Credit or knock it. I don't know. I mean, it's not Jurassic Park's fault that people are stupid or Spielberg's fault that people are stupid. (laughs) But this movie did introduce the whole concept of DNA to mainstream culture. Mm -hmm, Right. Got everybody ready for the OJ trial. (laughs) For better or worse. Mostly worse. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, you know, the DNA... Boom began on TV with CSI and all of its countless offshoots. Yeah. All those shows. DNA is the clincher. Yeah, and that's been a net negative for the world. Why? Because of what it's done. Because it unfortunately has made idiots think they know things about forensics, think they mm-hmm. know things about crime so that they, they get on juries and uh, and think they have a clue because they mm-hmm. think it's all real, and it it couldn't be further from the reality of law enforcement. Yeah, of course. All right, so let's set up this cast here for part two. So, of course, we have Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant. Oh, God, I just love him. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. Yeah, and he was not a big name at the time. Mm-hmm. The one thing people like really knew him from would have been uh, The Hunt for Red October. Okay. Which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. But I think that it worked well. Like there was no overpowering name in the movie. Absolutely. I think that's a one of the big reasons it works. Credit to the casting mm-hmm. director there. Right. Laura Dern here as Ellie Sattler, also m- much more of an indie kind of actress, not well known. And I consider her, mm-hmm. I consider her to be Bruce Dern's greatest contribution to film. No offense, Bruce. <laughs> If anybody, it's Goldblum who was actually the biggest name for the time. Yeah, which is surprising. Yeah. I mean, Richard Attenborough is a legend in terms of somebody being a younger, like, it guy. Goldblum was Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And because especially since Attenborough was basically retired. Right. And you can see with Goldblum, like, they have made him the it guy with all those sexy shirt open scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And. Who knew being in the middle of a life in that situation could be so sexy? Even before that, there was a, a the late 80s were good, very good for him. The late 80s, early 90s, yeah. they were really pushing mm-hmm. him hard as the heartthrob. <laughs> and then it's funny, he went, he's really moved in his career from like heartthrob to possibly autistic weirdo, you know? <laughs> I mean, he always had those vibes. Yeah, I love him in anything. He will always be yeah, Grandmaster for me, along yes. with Ian Malcolm. Absolutely, yes. His eye work alone in Ragnarok goes <laughs> down in history. I feel like Grandmaster is Jeff Goldblum. You know, it's one and the same. Yeah, pretty much. 
he's one of the, the many people uh, in that movie. Most of the cast not doing a whole lot of acting. No. We say that in a good way. Yeah, because they're, they're able to spread their wings and be who they are. Yes, and uh, <laughs> Love and Thunder is a different story. Yeah, so I haven't seen that movie yet. I just saw Multiverse of Madness and I need time to recover. <laughs> so yes, then we come to Richard Attenborough. He came out of retirement for Spielberg for this. Just for him. Mm-hmm. And he did a brilliant job. It doesn't work without Attenborough. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else could have played John Hammond just right so that we don't completely hate him. Exactly. Yeah. And they had some history between them too, because Attenborough directed Gandhi, which beat Spielberg at the Oscars in 1983. Gandhi won over E.T. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, if anyone would like to be our personal John Hammond to give us $50,000 a year for expenses, please contact us. Feedback at themadamspa.com. Yes, please. And then we have the great Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. Yeah, he, in this movie, he is so good. You can't help but hate him. I love him. So much. I love him. Every time he shows up, Every single time, I just hope, I know it's not going to change deep down, but every time I hope Dodgson walks over to the table and says, hello, Newman. (laughs) Help me out a little bit with this. Was he supposed to be Hammond's kid? You know, it's funny you say that because I have actually heard another person, a, a critic on another podcast who asked that same question. No. I've never gotten that vibe. What gave you that vibe? Because he said, thanks, dad. Oh, no, that was just a, a, you're being patronizing as if you think you're my dad. That was a, that was the 1993 version of, you're not my dad. But the conversation that they're having, but Hammond and Nedry, it's so combative about the money and all of that. I could easily see this as, the spoiled brat demanding more money from his father and his father saying, no, I'm cutting you off. And that's exactly why he says, thanks, dad, because that's what he's seeing it as. He's a spoiled, shitty kid when it comes down right. to it. But yeah, so, there's no relation. Yeah, you you would never speak to your boss like that. That's part of Hammond's problem. There are reasons that Nedry has this job, and we're going to get into that mm-hmm. in part two. And then, of course, we have Mr. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, it is so weird for for me to see him as this, just a regular scientist. I know, I know. And this was not his big break. He was not a name before this. Mm -hmm. He'd had a bunch of roles, really great performances, but it was Pulp Fiction the following year that was his true break. Right. And since then, he has become one of Hollywood's most prolific and successful actors. And he also has a pretty insane life story that we're going to be covering uh, for The Gump Files later this month. Right. So if you're not a subscriber on our Patreon, subscribe now. Definitely. Some of this shit will blow you away. His life could have gone very differently at various (laughs) points, if not for the women in his life. Mm -hmm. And I also think he is one of our greatest living bald actors. (laughs) He was not he was not afraid to go bald and he looks damn good. Yeah, he looks damn good. In fact, it's odd to see him with hair. It is. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, his boldness is its own character in its own way. 
I think he was also robbed of an Oscar nomination for this movie because there was no uh, category for uh, the ability to talk with a cigarette in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder how many times he must have dropped that cigarette while he was speaking. Yeah, I don't know how the hell he does it. Mm Mm-hmm. I was a former smoker and it is not easy to speak with a cigarette in your mouth. No. Especially with the smoke going up your nose and all. It's no fun. Yeah, Gross. <laughs> and then we come to uh, Bob Peck as Muldoon, who I absolutely love. Yeah. And I think his character type has become such a cliche in all the movie in movies moving forward that it kind of pisses me off. Yeah. And nobody's ever done it as well. No. With the exception, perhaps, of Steve Irwin, who, like, became this dude in real life. (laughs) And kind of had a similar ending, unfortunately. And then we have uh, Martin Ferrero as Gennaro, the lawyer. You just hate him from the moment you see him. You do. You do. Do you know who he reminds me of coming in there on the raft in his suit that's a little too big for him? Mm Mm-hmm. Niles Crane. If Niles Crane was going to the jungle, that's how he'd show up. I agree, yes, but I don't agree with the sliminess because I love Niles. Oh, yes, so do I. No, no, Niles was not slimy like this guy, but I always see him because of that entrance. And it's a great character entrance, truly. It is, yeah. It tells you so much about him. Yes, and because of the suits he's in, too. Those, like, mid-90s, early to mid-90s suits where the jackets were, like, way too long. And the suits were mm-hmm. clearly too big for these skinny men. Like, Niles was always drowning in his own suits. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Gennaro is the same. Yeah, that that time, you know, the clothes were so baggy that I don't know how people were comfortable walking around like that. Yeah, I don't know. And Gennaro will always be one of my favorite movie deaths of all time. Yeah. See, now, when I saw this movie the first time, I think the only time I laughed in this movie was when he died. And that was like one, the one scene that stuck with me through my life. Well, yeah, I mean, that's everyone's worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, true. And, and I kind of understand there. I would have ended up there uh, for, for different reasons, not just being a coward, although I would be a coward. Absolutely. But uh, <laughs> like he and Malcolm said, when you got to go, you got to go. And I have no doubt I would have to go if there was T-Rex coming after me. Yeah, but the thing is that he wasn't going because he needed to go. He was going because he was afraid and he wanted to hide. Right, right. That's what I'm saying, is that I would have done the same, but for a different reason. Mm -hmm. Halfway, because I would have been fleeing probably as well. Because I wouldn't have known that that a T-Rex's vision is based on movement. So says the movie, probably not the case in reality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully that's not something we need to look up and prepare for. Don't even joke. Don't even joke about fucking dinosaurs coming back, okay? We've got enough (laughs) shit hanging over our heads. Have you lived in this decade and the previous decade? I hate you. In this century? I hate you. So then we have Lil Tim, played by the absolutely Mm -hmm. adorable Joey Mazzello. Oh, he's cute. I love him. He is. Those big teeth, you know, you gotta love him. (laughs) And he's such a dorky kid, but he's not annoying. No, never. Even though he's supposed to be annoying for Alan, we are not annoyed with him. Yeah, in fact, I'm kind of on his side when they meet. Because I'm like, Alan, this kid is genuinely interested in something that people don't ever care about. Talk to him. You should want to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, so Joey Mazzello is still around. You can see him uh, most recently in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. He played John Deacon of Queen. He was great too. I love that movie. Ah, yeah. Um, I love the music in the movie. Yes. But it's not a great movie. I would rather just play the songs on my phone <laughs> than watch the movie. Though Remy Malik is absolutely fantastic. No question. Yes. Yes, Rami Malek did a fantastic job in the movie. I, I appreciate that they didn't whitewash him, number one. And they did kind of straightwash him a little bit, but he did end up in a gay relationship at the end. But it's not a perfect movie, but it's not a bad movie. By comparison to Rocket Man, I think Bohemian Rhapsody is much better. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Rocket Man. And I haven't seen the Elvis movie either, and I'm not going to, because Tom Hanks is not a villain. No. No, no. I would, in all honesty, as your friend, suggest you watch Rocket Man. Not because I want any kind of revenge on you, but I promise you, you will appreciate the movie. What two dudes go at it? Watch the movie. Damn it. I'm going <laughs> to Google it. And finally, we come to Ariana Richards as Lex. Oh my God, this performance. She's incredible. And she does not come across as the damsel in distress in any way. Uh, no, quite the opposite. She's the goddamn hero of the movie. Yeah, true. But like in the jungle, you know, when she's struggling, she's afraid. Yeah. Are you kidding? That kid was in shape. Hell yeah. And it's like clearly she was this incredible actress and she did come back for a subsequent movie. She did a couple things here and there afterwards, but her true passion is painting. Mm-hmm. And she's damn good at it. Yeah, yeah. She is quite a celebrated painter. Uh, we'll put the link to her gallery in the show notes. It's called Gallery Ariana. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps when you have a beautiful name like that <laughs> and you go into art. You could get a pen name. Yeah, but when you're famous like that. Yeah, true. Would that be considered a brush name? Pen name for words, you know, brush name for art. That is one of the worst jokes you have ever made. I am ashamed right now it was not meant to be a joke you know i was genuinely thinking that that makes it worse in fact that joke was so terrible i cannot continue <laughs> so we will wrap it up here for part one of jurassic park and then next week in part two really dive into the movie mm -hmm. thanks so much for joining us at the movies today i'm madam chris and i'm madam amy let us know what you think about all things Jurassic Park and Mr. Pratt on Twitter and Instagram at the Madams Pod. Yeah, and if you want to commiserate with me with my hate for a certain Mr. Rat, I'm happy to chat and vent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dominion was rough. Even my husband, who would watch Bryce Howard read the phone book, you know, assuming we took our time machine back to a time they had phone books, <laughs> that, uh, that's saying something. <laughs> Yeah. And you can visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. Are you auditioning for the next Jurassic Park? Uh, yes. Because <laughs> there's going to be another one. Don't, 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 don't get me started. Well, we're going to start in a second.